Good morning. How are you? Are you well? Great, great. I want to start by thanking you who uh, have been joining us each week and coming here and being a part and joining us for worship and for the message, but it's not, Sunday mornings are not just worship or just about the word or the message. It's about being together and coming together. I'm going to talk about that more in a bit this morning, but before I go any further, how many of you were able to take in the Global Leadership Summit this week? Anybody? Good, good, great. I'm sorry that we couldn't have that here and host that at the facility. It was an online event, but uh, I'm grateful for all of you who were able to take it in online. I've got some phenomenal things, some great things from it with some great speakers from around the world, and uh, it was phenomenal, and I was glad to take part of it, though I missed all of us being here together and across the city uh, for that event, but it was a great event all the same, and grateful for the Global Leadership Network of pressing through and making it happen, at least online, uh, for everybody and all the places that they'll go around the world with those messages uh, in this year I'm excited for as well. Um, this morning, JR and Janie are not with us. They are gone and taking some time off this week and spending some time relaxing and resting and maybe getting a few things. If I know my brother JR, he's maybe getting some things done at home that uh, all of us guys have lists that we'd like to accomplish, right, and get done in some of that time. But today they're hitting the river and uh, relaxing on the river, and uh, we are missing them, but grateful that they'll be back with us this next week, and uh, uh, he'll be bringing the message next week. So I'm grateful to share this week and uh, glad to share with you. JR, in the last couple of weeks, has been has been deconstructing, if you will. We've been talking about Second Chronicles chapter 7 and uh, God's promise that is in there. God's saying, if my people will humble themselves and pray. Right? Are you with me? Are you? You're quieter than first service for sure. Can't hear you under those masks maybe. I don't know can see the head bob when, when it does, though, so encourage me. Be with me today, right? We've been in Second Chronicles chapter 7, and in there, God says, if my people will humble themselves, and we've been looking at that word humble and humility and that characteristic, and Jared's been leading us in that and, and saying, what does need to be deconstructed? What needs to come apart, if you will? What needs to be sloughed and put off? And what is God bringing? What is, what is he doing? If, if my people will humble themselves and they'll pray, I'll heal their land and I'll be able to be their God, right? We want God to continue to be our God and to be on our side. And we want to continue to be on the same side of God. And so we've had a deconstructive look. Today, I want to take more of a constructive look and build and remind ourselves some of you have heard the question and have asked me, what do you think God's up to these days? What do you think God's doing? I hate to disappoint you so early on in my message, but I intend to answer that in part. Not in its entirety, not wholly, but I do plan on giving some direction to that question. What is God doing? What is God up to? Especially in a season 
of uncertainties. We're in that season, probably longer than we all wish, right? Longer than we hope for in a season of uncertainty, but also a season of new terms. Had anybody before 2020 heard the term social distancing? Any of you? I don't see a raise of hands. One, uh, have you? Uh, Zoe? No. Yes. All right. There's one other guy that I heard from who had heard the term before as well. He said, I know that social distancing term. It's what all the girls did, all the beautiful girls did in high school to me. They social distanced me those whole full years. I thought that was pretty funny. I'm like, well, I hadn't heard the term, but I know the experience. I know what you're talking about. I thought that was a good definition to social distancing. Good example. But this is also a season of new information, isn't it? New information. Say what? That's what I feel like sometimes. What, what do you say? Wait, slow that down. What? I've never heard that before. What does that mean? What is that going to mean? At just hearing information sometimes, your brain's already processing and you're wondering, what is that going to look like? What's going to be the impact of that? There's all kinds of new information out there. There's all kinds of statistics. There's all kinds of experts, isn't there? Just about any kind of expert you can find on any side of the line, even straight down the middle. There's all sorts of experts out there. In this season of new information, there's a lot of people who are acting on expert opinions based on information, based on new information, latest information. Sometimes it's information about the information. It's like, Every once in a while, maybe it's just me. I'm just like, stop. I can't, I can't take more. I can't take new. I can't take difference. But also inside of me, there's this question that's always looming. Like, I'm skeptical. I'm wondering, can I trust this? Really? I, I know it's new information, but particularly when it's new, I'm, I'm wondering, can it be trusted? Many are... Many people are acting on experts' opinions based on information. And still others are focused on discrediting that information. It's like their passion, their interest to discredit the new information, to discredit the experts, to discredit whatever it is that they're hearing or whatever the position is. It's just to discredit. I would assume because you're here that you're with me and that many of us are here looking for trusted information we can count on. Right? We're looking for trusted information that we know we can count on. That's part of why I come to church. I'm here because I have trusted and I've experienced and I know God and I know some things of God and it's really, in a season like this, some of the most familiar of anything. There was times in our lives when we'd go to church and it seemed so unfamiliar. And yet right now in this season, church seems really familiar and feels like a great place to be. Many of us are looking for information we can count on. We sung that song earlier, Good, Good Father, and I wrote down this line 
while we were singing it. It says, we are all searching for answers we know only you can provide. Is that true? I know many of us are looking for answers. But that line that we all sung together, is that really true for you? We're all looking for answers we know only you can provide. That's part of why I come here on a Sunday morning. That's part of why I'm in relationship with God who I believe created all things and causes all things to work together. That's why I follow a God who I believe, the God who creates all seasons. And I have to say some things that I believe that even in all of this, I wonder sometimes, like, is that going to be permanent? Is that, is that the new normal? Is, that, is my life changed now? Is that a permanent change in society? And although there are permanent changes like that, and there are things I'll share with you recently, some weeks ago, I got to go to lunch with an 83-year-old gentleman who's, who's a widow now, and I went to that lunch with a lot of questions. And I asked him, I said, in your 83 years, have you ever seen anything like this? He said, well, I've seen a lot of things. I can remember this, and I can remember being a part of this, and I remember making sure I wasn't a part of this. I didn't want to be a part of that. He said, but I, I don't remember anything like this. There's nothing that compares to this. This is really different. And at the same time, in the same conversation, I tried to assure him that because of God and because of God's Word and His faithfulness and His truth over all time, I tried to remind him this season is not going to stay. It's not here to stay. There may be things that have changed that won't go away, and COVID may not go away, but this season is going to change. God's Word is the same. It's true and it says that there's season after season. There's a season for this and a season for that. And I can count on the fact that this season isn't here to stay. But this season is here. This season is here. And the deeper question is, what's happening to me and my relationship with God in this season? What does God want to do? What is God doing? What's God looking for in this season? And it's in a roundabout way, asked in that question, what do you think God's up to? What do you think God's doing? I do intend to answer that in part for you. And this part I'm emphatic about. I'm fully persuaded and I know that it's not going to change. It is. And it doesn't speak all of what God's going to do or what God's up to right now. But it is. Every other part comes under this what God's doing. So again, I want, to, I want to construct, I want to build a little bit and look at what God's doing. We could turn to Ephesians chapter 2 if you have your Bibles with you. I want to start there. I do like picking out a scripture sometimes and spending quite a bit of time on it and staying in that part and building from that, but this is not one of those days. I do have a number of scriptures I want to share with you, and so they are on the screen, and if you have a Bible in front of you, you can get used to flipping through a little bit if you want to follow along. But in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19, it says this. Paul writing says, So then you, you and I, them then, in Ephesus, the believers then, the early believers, but also you and I now are no longer strangers and aliens, 
but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I can assure you in this season, God is still building you and I. God is set on building you and I together. Do you catch that part at the end? Into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I've had many of conversation with the individual who has said, I'm taking this time, I'm going to spend this time, I'm going to set this aside, I'm going to get myself away, and I'm going to spend this time with God because I want more of a relationship with God. I want more of the Holy Spirit in, in my life. I want more of his miracles or his happenings. I want more of his influence. I want to hear God better. I want this or that. I want the Holy Spirit more present in my life. And so I'm going to take this time I'm going to spend away. And I don't mean to make light of that and belittle that in any way because I fully support that. And I think it's fantastic. I think it's important and it's great. But even according to the scripture, it's not enough. It's not the only thing. That's not the one thing that grows us together the way God's wanting to build us together. Do you see that? Do you hear that? He is using one another as well to build us together that the Spirit, that, the, that God would dwell in us, that we would be the dwelling place of God. He's building us together. Even in this season of social distancing and staying away and keeping your distance and being apart. God is intent on building us together that God would be dwelling amongst us more and more and more. Amen? He is about that. He's set on it. And He's going to do it. He wants togetherness. He wants unity amongst us for the Spirit to dwell, for God to dwell by the Spirit in all of us. Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, we're going to break down and take a look at verses 6 through 10. It starts off saying, So then, as both of these have started, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. God intends to not just root us, but to build us up in Him, strengthening us in the faith. Another version says, in the teaching of the faith. This says, in the faith as you were taught. It's a faith that you can't just find. It's taught, it's absorbed, it's deposited in you, and it grows and it matures, and it has to be built, excuse me, built up. And it's built up through teaching, it's saying. But check this next part. And with the overflowing of thankfulness. I feel like sometimes this season is almost a test of thankfulness. Think for yourself, how many people around you could be described right now in this season as overflowing, overflowing in thankfulness? Short list, anybody? Long list, probably not. What about you? 
Could others describe you as somebody in this season who's mature, who's rooted and built up in Christ so much that they think of you as someone who's overflowing in thankfulness right now? I want my name on that list. How about you? I want to grow in my thankfulness, and I think God wants us to grow in our thankfulness in this season as well because it's going to build us up. In verse 8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. We've been looking at that as well in this season for quite a while now, right? Reminding ourselves that God's over top of all of this, over this season, over the government, over thinking, over philosophies, God's authority and power still reigns over all. And Paul's saying, don't forget it. Don't remind yourselves. Don't be tricked. Don't take upon all these other things. Take upon the things of Christ and keep him at the top. He's saying, don't trade the teaching of the faith for the worldly thinking, for the worldly teaching, teaching, for the thoughts of humans. Remind yourself that it's Christ. I want to be classified as that person who's overflowing with thankfulness. But it's a heart. It starts with the heart. It's a heart condition. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I'm going to go to next. But I want to say that the one thing that I know that God is up to more than anything else in this season is that he's here He's amongst us. He's Lord over it all to build his church. Even in this season of distancing, of separation, of confusion, of new information, God is set on building you and I, his church. He's not relaxed. Some people have felt, especially in transition of COVID back in February and March, they felt like, man, this is weird i am got to figure out how to work from home. I feel like I haven't been productive. Uh, it's almost felt like a weird sabbatical of sort. Uh, while my employer, while my company figures out what to do, I want to remind you and assure you, God didn't take a break and he's not taking a break. He's not slowed down one bit. He's intent on building you and I up. He's intent on building up the individual. He's intent on building up his church. He's intent on on building his church. In Matthew chapter 16 here, he tells Peter, but I also feel like we could insert any of your names. That's how intent God is. That's how intentional it is. That's how focused on you he is. It's not just Peter, but he does tell Peter. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They're not going to in this season either. Right? Amen? He wants to build his church, and it's not just through Peter. It's through each one of us. If I had time to go through the room and name your names, I'd try. I 
will build my church. And I'm choosing you. I've chosen you. And I'm building you up for that purpose and that reason. In those verses that I read, the English doesn't translate and convey all that's there that's in some of the original meaning and context, but there is this plurality thing. There's this thing where God's building up the individual, each person by name like this Peter example, but he's also building up the whole and the big picture, the church and the community because we're meant to be built together. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers for what? To equip his people. To equip his people. That's all of us together. But I also like to write in there to build up each person. Each one of you. There's not an exception. It's to build up the people, but he gave each of those gifts, each of those types of people for each person as well to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Each individual as well as the whole part. You're not skipped over. You're not left out. You're not of less value. You're chosen. You're called. And God wants to build in you right now in this season as well as in the church. In 1 Corinthians 14, the whole is called the church. It says, for the edification of the church, for the edification of the whole, there are those gifts. Next, I, I want to give you some ways that God's doing this, that I believe that God's doing it. And it's based in a scripture. He's been doing it, he's still doing it, and he's going to continue to do it. The first way that God's building his church, the first way that I have listed here, is through those gifts that I'm referring to in 1 Corinthians. You can check those out in 1 Corinthians 12. I don't have time to develop all of that right now, but there are seven gifts there in 1 Corinthians 12. There's a couple other gifts in a couple other locations in the Scripture, right? And there's even debate on there being a more exhaustive list than that. But either way, God's gifts are meant, it says, for the building up, the encouragement, the edification of the individual and the whole. The second one is found in Acts 20, verse 32, and, it, and it's in the Word. It's using the Word of God to build up the church. It says, but I, I like this verse. I picked this one because it's more unique than some of the others. It says in verse 32, Now I commit you to God and the word of his grace. This sounds a little bit more descriptive to me, I don't know about you, than Bible. I love that. I'm committing you to the word of his grace. Me, 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 sign me up. I want some. I need some. I have to have some. The word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The Word builds you up. The Scripture says that the Word does not return void. It's not possible for it not to accomplish what it's sent to do. It's not possible. 
It's not, it doesn't fall dead. It accomplishes its mission, the Word of grace, to build you up. I want to be built up. The next one is through love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says, We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. I grew up in a home where I knew I was loved. I knew I was cared for. But I remember maybe the spring of my freshman year or sometime in my sophomore year, I remember a conversation with my dad. And since I had moved away and left home, we had a lot more conversations over the phone and would touch base once a week or so, once every couple weeks, the longer I was in school. But... uh I remember a particular conversation. I don't mean on a cell phone. I mean like on the phone that was wired to the wall that you had to pick up and punch the numbers and you stretched the cord as far as you could to get on the far side of the dorm room. Or if you really wanted to be private, you got away from your roommate and you went out the door and down the hall where everybody in the whole hall could hear your conversation, right? One of those conversations But oftentimes I would end that phone conversation with my dad by saying, I love you. And that would kind of be the end of our conversation. Until one time I remember, like I could have just removed the phone from my ear and went to hang up because that's how regular it was. I remember him returning and saying, I love you too, son. And and it really, it stopped me. I just... I didn't know what to say. I'm thankful I didn't need to say anything else. I just kind of stopped and absorbed it, and it, it built me up. I remember that distinctively today. It's not that my dad didn't love me. It was meant to be more understood, and it was expressed in other ways, but I remember him saying that. Maybe he said it to me before, but I remember that being the first time that I'd heard it in a long, long time, though I had said it. I remember him in that conversation saying, I love you too, son. And I felt built up in a way that I hadn't felt built up in a long time. I remember another conversation. Maybe it was the second time that it happened, but he and I were in the pickup at the same time, and he was driving, and I was on the passenger seat, and we had a very intense conversation. It wasn't an argument. It was just intense circumstances, and he was asking for my advice and, and what to do, and, and it just came even more freely. I didn't prompt it. I didn't say anything, but he just turned to me, and I am on the felt like on a very far side of the pickup truck. It felt like the bench was even longer, but it felt like it got shorter when he said, I love you, and I want you to know that. And in that moment, I felt built up. I felt what he was feeling and what he was saying. Today with my own kids, maybe it's because of some of that, but instead my kids say, why why does dad always say that? Why does dad say that? You say that all the time, dad. I, I honestly, I don't want my kids to remember the first time in a long time that they heard that I love them. I want them built up by my love. And it's not just saying it. Is doing it. It's being it. I love doing their laundry and folding laundry and taking it to them, 
because I want them to know my love. Parents out there, you know it takes a whole gamut of ways to show your love to your kids, right? It can't be just saying it. It can't be just doing one thing. You have to convey it in so many ways. Forget the kids. What about your spouse? To build them up in love, we have to keep looking for ways and means to build them up and to express that love. But what about us? Do we recognize the love of others that they're trying to show us? Do we begrudgingly pass over it? Or do we just not recognize it or realize it? Or do we just not make the connection? Every once in a while, it's good to turn to our spouse or to turn to our kids or some of the closest to us and say, thank you so much. Thanks for doing that. I know that you're showing me your love for me, your appreciation for me. Bye. Right? I want to tire my kids out. I want to tire them out by knowing my love for them. Why? Just so they know that dad loves them? No. I want them to know that my love pales in comparison to the love of the Father for them and His belief and His pride in them. But some of it's dependent upon my fathering and my love and my building them up and my caring for them. I hope to wear their ears out. And someday they'll turn around and go, Dad, thank you so much, but it's not right now. That's not them all the time, but that does happen. But what about you, right? Doesn't it feel so good to be built up by love? When we hear something that someone says about somebody else, or we, hear, we all hear things we're not supposed to hear, right? And we hear something. We have this choice that 1 Corinthians 8 is throwing out there. We all have knowledge. We all know of something, and we can choose to spread it, we can choose to use it in a way that doesn't seem all that bad. I was just... Or we can choose to love somebody in a way that builds them up. We can choose to hold on to something and not let it go. Or we can choose to redirect it or just let it go in our heart and choose to love them. And it's a way that you are built up. Even you, it's a way that God's building his kingdom in you and building his kingdom in us. This next verse I had to rediscover. I hope to help you rediscover it. How many people pleasers are there in the room? Anybody? Anybody willing to admit you're a people pleaser? So am I. I'm with you. And for all the, all the harassment we get sometimes that you shouldn't just be out to please people, right? I, I love this verse. I had to discover it again preparing for this message. So I want to bring it out to you well and good and encourage you people pleasers. Are you ready? All right. In Romans 15 verse 2, it says, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. How about that verse? People pleasers, it's okay. I try. I want to please you. No, right? Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. It was one of the distinctions of the early church. Even the Roman rulers at the time go, man, what about these Christians? In times like this, in times of COVID, they would recognize, in seasons like now, they would recognize the distinctive qualities and characteristics of the Christians who would go out of their way in manuscripts, it says, to take care 
of one another. And they would say, we need to do the same. We need to follow the examples of those Christians who are going out of their way to take care of one another in seasons like this. Wow, who's my neighbor? The one man asks, right? Who's my neighbor? It's not just the person who lives next door. It's them. But it's all the people that God puts me in contact with, in intersection with. Am I out to please them for their own good, to build them up? All right. Let it go, Jason. Move on. The last one to share with you is through God's authority. In 2 Corinthians 10.8, Paul makes no doubt about it, no apologies. He boasts about it. And he says, So even I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, and I will not be ashamed of it. Oh, no, 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 no. God gave me authority to build you up. Paul's saying, but that's true of each one of us. God's given every one of us authority to build one another up, and with authority comes responsibility, right? It's my responsibility to help and to participate with God to build you up. And Paul says, I'll I'll make no apology about it, no bones. God's put me in this place. God's given me authority to build you up and not to tear you down like some of the others who've been teaching you and who've been trying to warp your mind. And I'm trying to warn you and have you be protected by. There are three things that I want to share with you this morning. There, those, are, those are ways that God's building in each one of us and wants to build His church upon in us. Those are ways. But there's also three ways that prevent God from building in us. There's three things, and I'm not going to go into total detail of them all. I'm going to cover over them, but there's ways that the Bible says this prevents God building in our lives the way He wants to. The first one is called a carnal spirit. In more layman's terms, like I've pulled out here in the NIV version of 1 Corinthians 3, Paul's calling it a mere humanness. Carnal means fleshly or earthly, right? It says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. Maybe you already have Christ in you, but I can't address you people. You Corinthians, I can't address you and talk to you right now like you are people who are living by the Spirit, because you're not. But I'm addressing you as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? I stand before you, and at times I still act like a mere human. But those words are sobering. I think of times that I'm acting carnally and fleshly. And Paul's saying, I, I don't want to keep addressing you like this. I don't want to keep talking to you like this. I want to I talk to the person who's acting mature in the Spirit, acting out of maturity, the kind of person that Christ gave his life for. 
and imparted his spirit and filled his spirit in. I want to be addressing you like that. Step up. Stop preventing God's work in your life by acting that way. The second one you could find in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, and I'm just calling foolish questions. But it's a focus on what's outside of Christ, focusing on something that's not in Christ's focus, even in this season and at this time. It's foolish questions and foolish conversations. We can treat it lightheartedly, but you could hardly read this portion of Scripture and treat it the same. Paul says this. I'm just going to extract this at the end. In verse 7, he says, They want to teach, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Ouch. Has anybody ever done that? I have. There's something hardly less or hardly more embarrassing than going off about something that you're very confident about, that you're so sure about, and you're trying to persuade the other people that you're so right on and that they need to join your position to realize you're wrong. Is it only me? Ah, Paul's calling them out. He's saying, they want to teach you this. They want you to believe, and they don't have a clue what they're talking about. They're speaking out of a confidence that they shouldn't try and be so persuasive about. Foolish conversations and foolish questions that are outside of the focus of Christ. Number three is the worldly spirit. It's following the ways of the world or the ways of of life. In verse, I have it up there on the screen, James 4, 1 through 8. You can take a look at that, but I'm, again, I'm just going to highlight a couple of parts out of it. It says, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world or follow the ways of the world becomes an enemy of God. In place, in verse 7, Paul's steering them and trying to say, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Likewise, in college, I can remember reading that scripture in the UC Commons and just going, man, God, that's so me right now. I so want you, and I want to come so much closer to you right now because I want you closer to me. I, I, I want God close right now in this season but it also requires something of me. It requires me making a move towards God. It requires me making some decisions and setting some things aside and making access and giving God invite for him to draw closer to me. I want that for you in this season as well. A worldly person is someone who's much more concerned about their relationships with the world than they are about their relationship with God. It's someone who's more concerned about the things of the world than the things, the focus of God. When I hear these words also, I feel so foolish because at times I can totally see myself being so worldly, acting so carnally, and thinking and involving myself in such foolish conversations and rhetoric. It's convicting. 
and motivating to me. But there's some other things that I know and I want to share with you before we finish. There's some things that I know that some carnal men don't know. There are some things that I know that may be foolish questions or foolish conversations to other people. There's some things that I know that don't make sense to a worldly person or to worldly people, and I have a hard time explaining. There's some things that I know. I know that God loves me. I know in his word and by my experience that God doesn't leave me. He does not forsake me. His word's very, very clear. Though I feel like he may be like a wind, though I feel like he may be like a wave, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's word says his eyes don't tire. They don't slumber or sleep. He's focused on every one of you like there's nobody else. And he focuses on me in the same way. In a way that I cannot be out of his sight. I know that he loves me and that he cares for me. And that he won't abandon me and he won't leave me hanging. And I don't know that just for myself. I know that for you. I know that God's not leaving you. I know that you're not out of the focus of God. You're in his focus. I want to encourage you, if you haven't experienced that kind of closeness, that sort of knowing, it may be more on your part than on God's part. I remember a time thinking when I was younger that everything else was up to God, that God needed to do something, that God needed to fix me, or that God needed to come closer to me. And I remember reading that part of Scripture even in college, well after I was saved, but just, again, reading it and rediscovering it and letting it hit me. There's some onus on me as well. There's something that I can do. God's done all this. He's given his one and only son who's given his life on the cross that none should perish. But all of us would have a relationship with God, but it's still on our lap. It's still in front of us. It's still our opportunity to invite and to include God and to welcome God. I want to encourage you, if you've never done that before, that you might not consider continuing in this season or any other without God, that you might include him, that you might invite him, that you might make way for him in your life, not just in your thought life, not just in your consideration, but making room for him. Would you consider doing that? There's a lot of people who are unanchored today. There's a lot of people who are wondering, and I can't answer all the questions either, but there are things that I know, and I don't have any more time to share those things. But if there's a knowing that you would like to solidify in your heart today, I would encourage you to talk with someone. Talk with someone that maybe you came with, maybe someone that you know in this room. I talked with someone after first service. I'm happy to make myself available and stay as long as necessary to talk with someone else here as well, and I know there are others. If you would like to do that, please do so. Take the opportunity. This season 
is not unique, it will be replaced. It's unique, it's look, it's design and the way it is, but it too will be replaced with another season. But the seasons highlight and are meant to highlight our need and our desperation for God, but also God's inclusion in our life and how active and how pursuant he is and how certain he is and how much he's set on building up and establishing his church, amen? Could we pray together? Father, I take a breath and just we're in this room and God, we want to yield to you and to your process, to your words that we're hearing. And in another part of Scripture, in Matthew, you say, wise is the man who hears my words and builds such and such. God, we want to take a moment and pause and hear you in our own heart and yield and change our course of building and welcome your construction. God, I pray you would continue to lead us in this season that JR is leading us in of deconstruction. You would lead us and reveal to us and show us like looking in a mirror what needs to be taken apart and taken out and left behind and laid down. But that, God, you would also show us as individuals how you want to build in our life, what it is you want to construct and add to. None of us are there. We haven't arrived. We know you're not finished with us. Not finished that you just want to do more, but you want to construct more in us. So God, we make way and give way to Christ in our lives. Through surrender, through love, God, through your word, through your authority, we make room for you to build us up. You're not through with Mount Helena Community Church. You have more for Mount Helena. You want us to have more of an impact and reach further into the city and further into the valley of Helena and the surrounding areas. God, show us even as leaders and elders, we're looking for you to show us what to deconstruct and what it is you want to construct, what you want to build. So God, we continue to look to you and look into you this week and for you to look into us. Show us yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Thank you so much again for meeting with us and being with us on your Sunday morning. And uh, this is the conclusion of our service. We're grateful to have you and uh, look forward to seeing you next week.